Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Ephesians by looking at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If you listened to the last episode of the podcast, you may realize that I read part of the same text from the last episode in this episode. 
I did this because in most translations, there is a publisher inserted section heading between verses 21 and 22. The problem is that publisher inserted that heading right in the middle of a sentence. And so I wanted to back up a little bit and and begin reading before we get to that point to flow into it so that it makes a little more sense. The text that we're dealing with today is difficult for a lot of people. Uh, We live in a completely different time uh, than when this was written, and uh, a lot of women have difficulty hearing these words about submitting to their husbands. Children are not always willing to obey their parents. Bond servants or slaves of the first century uh, are something that don't exist now, but unfortunately this text was used to justify slavery in America in, in the early days. As we read through here, we struggle to figure out how does this apply to us 2,000 years later? For some people, they read this and assume that we need to go back to the way that society was structured then and implement that within the church. But most of the people who think that way don't understand the history of this text. Paul is dealing here with something that was called in history household codes. They were actually in place in civil laws uh, 400 years before Jesus came on the scene. What Paul is doing here is taking those things that were a part of his society and explaining how a wise person, a spirit-filled person, will interact in these relationships. We noticed in the previous episode that Paul says a wise person is one who lives life full of the Spirit. Here he's letting us know that is true of individuals, but it's also true in our relationships. Our relationship should be Spirit-led as well. God wants to redeem us as individuals, but he also wants to redeem our relationships. As Paul is writing this, he is writing to a group of people who had been given authority by the civil government to have absolute authority over their home. Husbands and fathers were in absolute control. There was nothing in the law that dealt with fair treatment. The family was the smallest of political groups in the society, and the father or the head of the household was absolutely in charge. So if he decided that someone needed a beating, they got a beating and the government didn't interfere. It didn't matter how severe it was. It didn't matter if it even took the person's life. That was his property. And that went for wives, children, and servants. They had absolute control. Marriages typically were business arrangements. They were for the purpose of creating heirs for the father, but they were negotiated between the man who would be the husband and the father of the woman he wanted to marry. It was a business negotiation. It impacted societal status and income and wealth. Uh, All of these things were tied up, and very often the people getting married knew very little of each other. It was an arranged marriage based on what benefited the men in the society in the best way. Children of the time weren't even legally recognized as people until they were recognized by the father. 
a, a child could be brought to the father and after it was born, and he could decide whether or not that child would live or die. And so if a father didn't want to have another daughter and his wife gave birth to a daughter, they would leave the child outside the house. That was called exposure. They would expose this child to the elements until it died. And servants of the first century, regardless of how they came into this servitude, were the absolute property of their owners and could be treated any way they wanted to. And so as Paul looks at the society and how men had authority from the government to be abusive to other people, Paul says, live wisely, live a spirit-filled life, and let that carry over into your relationships. It should affect the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your children, and the way you treat your servants. So let's look a little more closely at what he says about each of these groups. When Paul talks about wives and husbands, he's talking about a relationship that is marked by mutual submission. Unfortunately, because of that section heading that I mentioned earlier, we tend to pick up the reading of this section in verse 22, where it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. But the sentence actually begins before that. The reason we know that is in verse 22, the word submit is not actually in the Greek. The way that we know that the proper verb there is submit is because it was used earlier in the sentence. Submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands. Paul starts the discussion by saying that husbands and wives should submit themselves to each other. This is a mutual submission. And that thought carries not only through the discussion of husband and wives, but also to children and parents and also to masters and servants. Spirit-filled relationships are ones that are mutually submissive. That word submission, I think, uh, bothers us sometimes because we tend to think that it means giving up our own identity and just being whatever the other person wants us to be. But that's not what's described in this passage. As he talks through these different sections, he talks about a a giving of self to the other. He says that wives should submit to husbands the way the church submits to Christ— When you read what's in the New Testament about how we come to Christ, it's a total surrender and giving ourselves to Christ, to the body, to fulfill his ministry and his purposes. There is a desire to connect ourselves with Christ and do whatever is helpful to him. Paul is telling wives here who had little or no control over who their husband would be that it is important for you to choose to love the one you're with. And when you have that kind of connection, the way that the church does for Christ, you are intimately connected. And now the relationship is not based on any sense of obligation or even convenience. It's about making the most of the connection we have with our spouse. When he speaks to husbands, he doesn't say husbands love your wives instead of submitting to them. He's saying this is what submission looks like coming from a husband. When you give yourself to your wife, it should be done in a loving way. A husband should love their wives the way Christ loves the church. 
in case anyone didn't know what that meant, he explains, Jesus gave himself completely and totally up for the church. The church doesn't exist without Jesus fully giving himself to that body of believers. Paul tells these men that they should be willing to die for their wives rather than as the custom was in the first century, looking for ways to get rid of women once they had served their purpose. We live in a society that by and large believes the greatest expression of love in a marriage relationship is the physical relationship that we share. But Paul is making the same point that Jesus made in other places, that the greatest thing that you can do to show love is to be willing to lay down your life for your wife. Love does not have to be involved in the physical act of consummating a relationship, but being willing to give your life for another person requires love. Paul says, love each other that way. Husbands, submit yourselves to your wives by loving her. That would have been a a strange thing to hear in the first century because love had very little to do with the marriage relationship. As I mentioned earlier, it had been arranged as a business decision. You had certain responsibilities that you would uphold as a part of that relationship, but it was a sense of obligation or maybe even convenience. Paul is challenging his readers to have an intimate connection with their wives that drives the decision-making of the relationship. So it's not about who's in charge or who's the boss, when both people have totally given themselves to the other, they become this one unit, this one thing, this one flesh that is now serving the purposes of God together. Paul says, when we do marriage right, we come to understand profound realities of life in Christ. There's something that we start to understand about Christ and the church when we get the marriage relationship right. Couples are one body, like the church. We're united and made one. The body should be nurtured and cared for. Paul says you don't really like yourself if you don't like your wife because your wife is a part of who you are. In short, healthy relationships require 100% commitment from everyone involved. Paul says this is living wisely or living according to the Spirit. But he doesn't stop just with husbands and wives. He goes on into what we call chapter 6 and talks about fathers and their children. Again, fathers would have been given complete authority in the first century, and so Paul addresses what that code written into law should look like when lived out by a Christian. He does mention to children that they should obey their parents. God had made a promise to children who obeyed their parents. But Paul lets everyone know that that obedience should not have to be forced or coerced. It should be a submission to your parents as the parents give themselves to the child and their upbringing and their nurture. God makes a promise to honor those that honor their parents. But Paul lets the fathers know that laws and traditions that overlook abuse don't excuse Christians from doing what's in the best interest of their children. They should not be excessive with punishment or with indulgence. They shouldn't exasperate their children. The point Paul makes here is that godly training is the best training. 
when children and parents are striving for unity in Christ and furthering the purposes of Christ, there's a healthy relationship where the parents give of themselves to the children so that the children are nurtured and raised in the admonition of the Lord, and children are giving themselves to the parents, trusting them to do what's best. Paul then moves on to the idea of masters and slaves or masters and bondservants. Slavery in this context looked different from slavery in the American South just before the Civil War, but it didn't keep people from making comparisons between the two. And for some reason, some folks read these verses and said, well, look, the Bible condones slavery, so it must be okay. But here he's talking to people who find themselves in a circumstance, doing it for the Lord. Oftentimes, masters found themselves in that role because someone owed them money, and the way that it was being paid back was through service. If someone had entered into that agreement, masters were being called by Paul to respond to that circumstance in a Christian way. People who had given themselves into slavery, become bond servants to pay off a debt, they had a responsibility to honor their commitment. It didn't matter if the master was a good guy or not or followed the same moral code. Bond servants had a responsibility to fulfill their commitment. Again, that's very different than uh, slavery in the American South, where folks didn't have a choice for that. They were forced into servitude. Paul takes this social arrangement that was a part of the society of his time and said, this is the way that a spirit-filled person should live this. And so he starts by talking to the servants, and he says that servants should serve the way that they serve Christ, not out of a sense of obligation. You should do it because it's what's right, because you have the kind of character and virtue that wants to represent yourself well and in turn represent Christ well so that hopefully you have an impact on those that you come in contact with. Paul says you should absolutely put your heart into whatever work you have to do and remember the reward that God has promised and let that be your motivation. While we don't have the same arrangements in our society, It certainly seems that this mindset would serve us well in our own workplaces, in our current society. We do well to work for Christ rather than the man, work for Christ rather than our manager, our boss, or our owner. We need to make sure that we are doing all that we do with all of our heart so that we reflect well the glory of Christ. We don't do the things that we do here for a reward here. We do it so that we can be rewarded by God. But Paul does speak to masters, and this was the part that seemed to be missing in some of the arguments about slavery in in American history, is that just because Paul had told people how to be good Christian slaves, he wasn't telling masters that they could do whatever they wanted to and it excused slavery. He says to masters, Make sure you're rewarding as an incentive rather than punishing. Workers shouldn't be threatened because their real master is in heaven. You've given them a job. You've given them a way to pay off debt, but you're not in charge of them. You don't have a hold of them. Their real master is in heaven. 
And Paul says, you should care about all people the same way. You shouldn't look down on people because they owe you something. Because these people find themselves having to do service doesn't make them less people than the freedmen. You should treat all people with love and respect. Paul will write in another letter that it is good for a Christian master to set his servants free, to give them their freedom. Again, hearkening back to this idea that their real master is God himself. So as Paul writes about these household codes, things that had been entrenched in the society for hundreds of years, he puts a spin on it and says, let us, we Christians, handle these things in ways that reflect the glory of Christ and the moral character that we've been called to. Let's not make these relationships about who's in control, but rather submit ourselves one to another so that we learn more and more about the relationship that we have with Christ and with God. As Paul makes these points, he's talking about control and coercion and getting your way and being in charge. And the 10th verse that again follows a publisher inserted section heading, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Strength doesn't come from the control you have in your earthly relationships. Your strength comes from the Lord. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.